Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to take a look at cloud migration strategies. And we asked the question, what should your personal cloud migration strategy be? Then we're going to take a look at Ubuntu 20.10. We're going to see what new features are available there. We're going to discuss the controversial YouTube DL takedown and whether this was something that should have happened or should not have happened. In our gaming section, we're going to talk about playing games obviously, but specifically how to stream those games from your PS4 to your Linux box. And of course, we're going to have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks, all of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode number 197 of Destination Linux. We're almost at 200 episodes. Right? Are we do anything special for 200? I mean, we haven't we, planned anything. So we haven't planned it. We probably should, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it after the show. There you go. We'll get your DLN mugs ready. Take a sip, sit back, relax, and prepare to have the best open source and Linux goodness delivered directly to your brain. Priority mail, even. My name mm. is Ryan, and with me today are the MVPs of the World Series of Softball, Michael and Jill. Let's find out what everyone's been up to this week. (laughs) Michael, what have you been doing, sir? Well, I've been doing some stuff for the Front Page Linux website. So I wrote an article on Front Page Linux about the Thaleo, I'm sorry, Thaleo Mega from System76. And that that is a really interesting uh, piece of like hardware that the desktop's got four GPUs because why not? And exactly. uh, it's, it's really interesting. And if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. I'll have a link in the show notes about that article. And also there's a really cool article about the latest release of Ubuntu Studio written by a contributor for FPL, Mauro Gaspari, about the like the, the, the thing that they've adopted in Plasma and uh, all the customizations they've done with Jack and everything. So check that out if you're interested. So Jill... What have you been up with other than the fact that we woke you up literally 10 minutes ago and said, hey, can you guest host with us? Other than that, what have you been up to this week? Oh, this is such a joy and an honor. Thank you. (laughs) And I have been actually working on a mini ITX Ryzen build inspired by DOS Geek. I'm so happy. (laughs) I just got all my parts. And I'm actually going to build two rigs, a mini ITX and then a, a full height. Uh, rig for my bro- for broadcasting. So oh, I love that. What kind was, of case did you choose for the mini ITX? It's um, uh, I, I, I'm forgetting the name right now. Oh, um, no problem. <laughs> I was just curious if you went with the Leon Lee TU150. No, I, I had... no, I didn't. I wanted a pink case. Of course so... you did. Of course <laughs> yeah. you did. Yes. Well, I think that sounds awesome. The only the only thing I would say about the Leon Lee, it doesn't come in pink, so that is a big downside. But I love mm. the idea of a handle. Not that I'm ever going to bring it anywhere, Jill, but it's yeah. just the idea of having a handle there. Yeah. Just kind of who like, doesn't want cool. a Leon lunchbox? <laughs> I love that you call it that. <laughs> so, Ryan, what have you been up to this week? So this week I've installed Fedora 33. You remember I, I put a tweet out there and said it's uh, Fedora 33 is turning out to be what I consider like the Frank hot sauce of Linux distributions. I'm going to put it on everything, and so I've started that migration this week. I have Fedora 33 that I'm running right now i'm really really liking what they've done with fedora 33 it works on speaking of the mini itx system the mini itx system perfectly so i was able to install it um i overwrote the pop os install that i had with fedora 33 and everything is working really solid i've been doing gaming i'm going to be doing a video and kind of showing some of this and the gaming was really impressive now i'm waiting for the new amd gpus to drop 
because yes. right now I have <laughs> the 2070 in here and it does okay in the, the gaming realm. It's not, you know, because I do everything in 2K, so two 2K monitors and that can put a lot of strain on a 2070. But I'm very excited to take that out and eventually put the AMD GPU, whatever that's going to be that they're releasing here uh, soon. But for right now, um, I'm really impressed with how Fedora is performing overall and I'm using GNOME. So that will make a lot of people happy and a lot of people send me hate mail. But either way, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, and you know, I'm Ryan, actually testing I... Fedora with the KDE version. So we're, we're covering both cases right there. Oh, nice. Ah, and, and I'm actually, um, for my uh, main rig, I'm looking into the 3070 or the AMD option, whichever one benchmarks better. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that that that... A 3000 series by NVIDIA is just super impressive, right? So yes. you're not going to be sad uh, picking up one of those by any stretch of the imagination. But Lisa Sue, we talked about this on Hardware Addicts last week, I think it was. Lisa Sue actually came out and said that their new GPUs are going to disrupt the market as much as their CPUs disrupted the market. Yes. That is one heck of a claim. Yeah. And I love Lisa Sue. She's my yeah. favorite tech CEO, period. Same so here. <laughs> I really hope she's successful in that venture there. Yeah, because this disrupting the market of the CPU, no one expected it and they just, they definitely did so. Dominate. Yeah, they, <laughs> like at the comparison now, it's not even like, it's not even a fair comparison whatsoever. So if they can do that with the GPU, I am super excited to see what that that becomes. Yep, and I hope Lisa Su drops a signed version because I have the signed version of the 5700 XT from her. And so if she does a signed version, that would be awesome too. Nice. So hopefully I can pick one of those up. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by our friends at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With that platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all of the heavy lifting. I actually was playing with this this week, and it is as simple as you go into the app platform and you literally just put in the repository and then poof, you've got things set up with a couple of clicks. It's quite amazing service there. It has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and Docker. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they've built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. But better than that, you're going to get a $100 credit to go play with by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with a free $100 credit. We put everything, speaking of Frank's hot sauce, we put everything on DigitalOcean. Mm -hmm. Our websites are DigitalOcean. We have a new Xenotic server for the community to go play games. First-person shooter, it's probably there in your distro's repository. It's on DigitalOcean. We even had Linux Ninja go and create us a Super Tux Cart server for the upcoming <laughs> Game Fest on November 15th. That's right. It's been locked Yay. in at November 15th. You can come play some games with us, all hosted on DigitalOcean servers. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean by going to do.co slash DLN and get your free $100 credit. 
In the community feedback this week, Lucas Rice is to say, Hi guys, I plan to buy a new rig. I'm really thinking of a new Zen 3 Ryzen that's coming in November. Do you think the Linux kernel is ready for that processor? Is it going to work flawlessly? What GPU do you suggest that I get to go into that? Would you wait for the new Radeon that's coming soon as well? Thanks so much for your work. And P.S. I really think that you should put this very stool that Michael presented on his as his pick once on charity auctions. And I deeply believe that it would that it would it would sell uh, it would sell well, or especially at least not cheap. Uh, th- regards in Poland, Lucas. Uh, thank you so much for the feedback. Uh, I appreciate your uh, positive comments about the stool. Uh, I do, I do cherish it very much. So that's why it's always in the view for the show. Uh, but so but never in use. It's in it's, pristine it, condition. It, it has been used at least seven times. Uh, so that is inaccurate. Look at that, though. <laughs> we are looking at doing another deal in charity drive that we're setting up and working with the community. In fact, you can go to the discourse forums right now and you could put your pick in for the charity. We had an amazing time working with Free Geek. We were able to, this community just blows me away. They were able to raise thousands of dollars for Free Geek to help close the digital divide. Also, donation of equipment to get in the family's hands, especially right now so that people who are stuck at home doing homeschooling and things would have the ability to have computers and be able to do their work. So we cherished that community giving project that we did with Free Geek, and we're going to be doing another one. So you could pick what that charity is going to be, at least have your voice heard in it by going to the DLN discourse forum so we can do another drive for another good cause. So, and yes, Michael may or should put up a stool for that, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll, not we'll that see. exact stool. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But but we'll just go. We'll have a link in the show notes for that link to 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 you know check out the forum thread. Put your your opinion in there and let us know what you think about what charity we should do. Uh, but Ryan, let's answer the question about the this particular feedback about what kind of uh, GPU do you think that they should get for this or kind CPU? Of I think was here. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to pass this if you don't mind to Jill because oh, it's yeah. rare that I have somebody who's far more experienced than hardware with me. I just want to <laughs> hear Jill's opinion, frankly here. Yes, Lucas, I would wait. I'm actually in the process of building a big rig and I am waiting for the Ryzen 3 and also deciding between a 3070 or AMD's Big Navi, depending on on the benchmarks. So I say, yeah, definitely wait till after the CPUs and the GPUs come out to build your next rig. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Now, I know the the issue that happened with the Zen 2s where they wouldn't work and everyone knows the mega rants that I went on over it. A lot of that was caused actually by the X570. It was the motherboards. If you think about it, all these are still utilizing the exact same motherboards. Yeah. Um, It's the same chipset. So you, you should be able to, I think, utilize one of the CPUs without any problem as far as using Zen 3, I think. Yeah, I'm hoping too, because it is the AM4 socket. And, you know, just with a BIOS update, he should be able to stick that right in there. I'm counting on that as well. And I'm actually going to go with one of the B550 motherboards because they're very good at the upgrade process. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think (laughs) you're going to be safe there. Now, Jill's absolutely 100% agree. AMD has had notorious issues with their drivers when it comes to a GPU standpoint. Mm -hmm. Now they're built into the kernel. So when they do work, it's amazing. You plug it in and you go. There's no hunting for special drivers. There's no nothing. You just start working. But when they first release a new GPU, if you're using distros that have kind of stagnant releases like Ubuntu's, then if it's in between when they've 
put the drivers into the kernel and depending on when the next release of that distro is, you may not have driver support for it. Now, if you're on a rolling distro, you're probably going to be in better shape, but there's no guarantee. So it's probably better to wait a few weeks. Also, that gives you a chance to look at the reviews on the chips, make sure they're doing what they say they're going to do uh, as far as performance and things and make a good decision. But otherwise, I think it sounds like you're building an amazing machine and congratulations on that. Yeah. And and I know it is built into the latest kernel, but that kernel isn't going to come out for most of the distros till next year, like Ubuntu in the spring. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah you'll have to compile it or get a, a rolling release. Yeah. And even then, it still may not be baked yet. There still may be little issues that you got to play with. Very yeah. true. But I, I'm willing to take that challenge because I love doing it. Me too. Exactly. <laughs> We love hearing from our worldwide community, and we want to thank you to for sending in your feedback. And if you haven't sent a feedback before and you want the opportunity to do so, you can. So just send a, a message to comments at destinationlinux.org and also get your official DLN mug, fill it up with some coffee, sit down at your nearest stool because, of course, you should, and then send us an email. And again, comments at destinationlinux.org is how you send that email. And if you have any comments you want to give, any kind of feedback, Please let us know. We are always open to listening to any kind of feedback. So comments. As long as it's positive. Okay. <laughs> I'm open. I'm open to pretty much any kind. Uh, Ryan is <laughs> just positive. Just positive yeah. for Ryan. Uh, yeah. Also, I prefer positive just to be clear. So <laughs> send your negative feedback to Michael at michaeltonell.org. That's not a thing. Uh, comments at destinationlinux.org. <laughs> So the big topic this week we want to cover is what is your cloud migration strategy? Well, that's an article that Red Hat actually released this week talking about having a strong cloud migration strategy for institutions. A lot of companies looking to go this way. There are a lot of different ways you could deploy these cloud strategies, but I wanted to take it a little bit different because you can go out there and check out that fantastic article. They have lots of tips and tricks in there about figuring out from a sysadmin standpoint if you're wanting to use a public, private, hybrid cloud, mixture of all the different server types. But I'm thinking a lot of people at home, I get a lot of questions with the Synology NAS videos that I've done, with the free NAS videos that I've done, talking about the proper way to do storage and backups and utilizing the cloud today. And the reason why I really wanted to cover this is because I see also there is more nefarious work going on by outside governments and other things. These tools of hacking and getting data are becoming more and more powerful every single day. And because you have these other players, which obviously are generally targeting big targets, not necessarily personal data, but there's still these tools get out there into the wild from governments and then regular hackers, regular people end up getting a hold of them and then could use them to target regular people as well to get to their data. So I was curious what your thoughts are, Michael and Jill, on your personal strategy. Are you only doing in-home servers that are not connected to the World Wide Web at all? Or are you using hybrids of having some things out in the cloud, some things on you know, bare metal at home? What are your thoughts on this from both a privacy and security standpoint? Well, I know I, um, you know, being an uh, animator and doing a lot of rendering, I've had to, I have to have three backups of everything, you know, one in the cloud and one bare, me bare metal. Uh, so we have so actually with the company I've worked with, we have uh, specific clouds for animators and rendering. And uh, actually Google is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Cause they have a, a nice setup for, for um, sending huge files, like terabyte files really oh, quickly. Wow. 
And the, the services are very expensive because the files are so huge. I don't worry about the security with those businesses. Right. Because, yeah, because they know there's a lot of money at stake, just like, you know, most people's use cases. So for you, when you're doing, when you're working with the business, you're not as concerned because they're kind of taking Correct. that, that those risks on, and they're also handling the security. But what about personally? Do you store most of your stuff locally on your machines for your personal files and things, or do you use a cloud solution there? I use cloud. I use Google. I, I've, I have a nice Google uh, account. Um, uh-huh. Actually, I've had for for years. Yeah, that's, that's your go-to is the Google Drive. Then, yeah. It, now, do you pay for it or do you just use the free service? It's it's a long story. I I, I actually have an unlimited account. So, oh, what? <laughs> Can you hook us up, Jill? Come on, an unlimited account. That's why I didn't really want to want to say. Cause, right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, that makes sense why you would use that then, because yeah. getting an unlimited account is pretty amazing. Michael, do you use any mixture of cloud? Sort of. Uh, I mostly do lo- local backups and storage, that kind of thing. But I do, if something's very important that I need to have a, you know, a copy that's somewhere else, they like, you know how they say to have multiple backups and to have one off site to have the best kind of uh, backup structure. Yes. That That is mm-hmm. very difficult outside of using a cloud service because being able to send it, send, some, send your data to someone else's computer, like a relative or a friend or whatever, and then be able to, you know, easily get the, the stuff there and back is a very difficult thing to do. So the cloud approach is something I do on certain pieces, but I also massively encrypt the stuff I put on there just because there's like files for my like design work and that kind of thing. I, I, I don't want to ever lose them. I actually have my, I have, I have source files for my designs from like the past 15 years. I can go back and look at the terrible work I did before. The crayon drawings. Co- yes, exactly. And compare <laughs> the, the new modern style of my work. Yes. Uh, so I have, uh, it's mostly because every once in a while I'll have like a client from three years ago come to me and say, Hey, I, you know, that I want to make a slight tweak to the thing you made three years ago. Uh, is there any chance you happen to have it? Well, in fact, I do. And I need to have all that stuff just in case. I mean, I've only done that probably 10 times in my career where it actually paid off to having all those files. But the files are very small in comparison to like a video or whatever. So having that storage is not a huge deal. But I also want to make sure that I have that storage in a, in a place where I can guarantee no matter where I am or no matter what, I have access to it. I typically just kind of do it on a self-hosted approach. Uh, occasionally some of the stuff is on Google and some of it is like, I don't necessarily use Dropbox myself, but when I do client work, some of the times they want to put it on Dropbox and then I have to deal with that kind of thing. So, uh, I do have cloud, but probably 95% of my stuff is on local only just because I don't, if I don't need it to be accessible at all times, I don't, I don't bother with the cloud. So I have a couple Synology NASes and I have a free NAS server that I do a lot of my backups on. But there are some things that if a fire was to happen or something horrible, I wouldn't want to lose the pictures, say, of my kids growing up and things like that. So I'll use cloud solutions for that. Mega NZ is my favorite one as far as the cost goes and what you get for it. And, you know, I wouldn't say any cloud provider out there can be 100% fully trusted but they seem to be one of the more trusted ones within the open source community. Linux community is mega that you'll hear about. Um, so I've, I've used them and had great success with them. I think they have an amazing service. 
I also have some Nextcloud servers that are up on DigitalOcean where I'll store certain files and things like that for transitions. I try to avoid most Google. Of course, I don't have an unlimited account, um, but I try to avoid the Google stuff, but I get, listen, uh, if it's the most easiest and the right thing to use for people to utilize that. But I think if we go back to the business side of it, you know, they have to be making the same kind of decisions here of whether you put things in the cloud. How many companies are liable for hundreds of millions of dollars if they lose client information and things? There's a big push to put everything into the cloud, but there's also a ton of security risk potentially with that if you don't choose the right one. So if you work for one of those companies or your company is trying to decide that, Go check out that cloud migration strategy article. We'll have a link in the show notes from Red Hat as it'll give you some good tips. Yeah. Awesome. And always remember three backups at least of everything. Really good advice. Yeah. (laughs) I I learned that way too late in my career of tech. That's that's why I only have 15 years of a 20 20 year career of doing design. Oh, (laughs) I I have a story actually, but um, it's, it's uh, back when I was an, uh, a student in college and when I was doing my animations, everything was floppy. You know, this is the days before CD-ROMs and ZipDisk and yeah. SideQuest and all and internet and all that came along. And inevitably, you know, the, the animation files are very hard on the disks and they would fail. So you always had to have three backups. So I would literally be going to college carrying huge bags full of my backups of my floppy disks. And I had have hundreds for each animation project that would normally be be two to three minutes. And that was a thing I had to do it. And then it was like, thank God the SideQuest drive came along. Yes. (laughs) And then the zip and the CD-ROM. So that. Do you remember the big gray (laughs) cases that would hold all of the, hard disks and things and yes Yes. and i I would have many of those stacked up with all of the i mean because look even wing commander like i I don't even have anything fancy like jill where i had artwork or something to store but wing commander was like 20 discs yeah so you had you know everything (laughs) was was multiple discs that you had so we had tons of those containers you kids Uh, these days won't understand yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it's you know i would there was one project i had where Two of my backups, uh, my original uh, master copy and the backup failed, and I had to go to the third, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was oh, a thing. wow. That's got to have you holding your breath when you get to that third one, like, please, yes. please don't mess up. <laughs> so, that's why I instill that in my students. My, my first day I do my lecture, you know, I, I say you must have three backups, have a local a copy, you know, have a, have a copy on your flash drive and then put it in the cloud on your Google account or Amazon or whatever. Absolutely. No, <laughs> yeah. that is great advice. There've been a lot of people I've had to do data recovery for over the years. And some of the things that they almost lost or did lose were priceless, right? Photos yes. of their babies and things being born and, the first photos of their kids. And uh, it's, it's terrible when people don't take that advice or don't have friends that are their geek friends to kind of tell them, hey, do multiple backups because that stuff cannot be replaced. Yeah. And it's actually kind of funny because, yeah. you know, the the thing about doing the recovery stuff, while I, I, I did actually was able to recover my files, but I have a drive that is its entire purpose is, that is just to store the mountain of of confusion that is when you try to recover data from a drive there's it, it just creates this like impossible to uh. navigate field where the, the all the file names are just gibberish nonsense and you yes. have no you have to manually go through each one to figure out if it's wor- useful or not and then it will oh, show you and yeah and exactly that, yeah. <laughs> and it will show you files of like a hundred percent 
worthless stuff you don't even know you have on your computer that's avatars yes. for people's webs like forums or whatever <laughs> and then you're like okay okay this file right here is in, a, in, a, in the sea of worthlessness there's one file that's fantastic and I need to save it and then you have to go through the rest of the terabytes of data to figure out if this is even worth it so I while, like your needle in the haystack approach yeah that's exactly yeah. so yeah. I have a drive that I've had for about at least 10 years now where probably once a month or so I'll go in and just torture myself with trying to like, okay, is there Fine. anything here that, that I need to keep? Yeah. <laughs> so the advice is to organize your backups, right? Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Organize. Like this is not organized. This is just recovery of the time where I uh, happened to lose the, the long many years ago, like 15, 16 years ago, I, I messed up and lost some data. I'm still trying to recover those things because it's just a, a monster of work yeah, to go huge. through all this stuff. And also yeah. because I'm lazy and I don't want to go through the process of doing it immediately all the time. So <laughs> yeah, it's not that it's, it's not, it's not 15 years of work. It's just, if you don't, if you don't want to go through the process in the way that I did, it be, kind of becomes 15 <laughs> years of work. But, uh, so there's that. But yeah, just make as many backups as possible. And also, uh, prepare, yes, organize your backups. Yeah, Very important. Them. Yeah, I used to catalog all my floppy disks. Dewey Decimal I System. I had to because I had hundreds. <laughs> that's a throwback. Yes, yes, use a Dewey Decimal System. That'll be the most uh, effective oh, that's way. Good. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> all these kids are like, let me look that up on Google and see what <laughs> yeah, that means. Exactly. <clears throat> let me, let me save this on my uh, my three D printed save icon. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I was right after I said that the fifteen years, like technically it's not true because I still have all that data. It's just in a drive that I don't even. I have touch. the exact same thing. Like well, I have drives that are so messy that it's like spinning a lottery wheel whether you'll find the file you want or yeah. not. Yeah, and at this point, I've done data recovery too for for as I know you guys have too. Yeah, <laughs> and it's insane. It's oh just, yeah, because you don't work. get to choose what you pull down a lot of times. It just pulls yeah. random stuff, and you're looking mm -hmm. to find that one section as the photos you need or whatever you're recovering. Yes. <laughs> the only thing, the only value I had in that situation is that I was able to organize it by file type, and then I was like, okay, now the important files I know That's what nice. those types are. I will go through <laughs> all of these files to see if there's anything worth it, and then it goes into the case of like, okay, now I have photos and like maybe some MP3 audios or whatever. I'll get to those eventually. But all my source stuff that I like, that's the best thing about doing certain types of work where they have a specific, like when people are like, I don't like custom file formats. Sometimes that comes into value and that, <laughs> but that's not often, yeah. but there you go. <laughs> so you may have heard some news that recently happened that mm -hmm. uh, a new version of Ubuntu has released. I'm What's not sure that? if. Oh, that's a. It happens to be a distribution. <laughs> I, I think. I think it's that you might recognize it from the a Groovy Gorilla. Uh, groovy that's gorilla. that's yeah. such a cool name, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I love it. it. I love it. Uh, I hope the next one is something like Hipster Hamster. They 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 better do that. Uh, but something like that <laughs> anyway. Hipster Hamster. Yeah, I want that. Uh, but anyway, so this is the new version of Ubuntu with 20.10. There's a lot of stuff that's been done in this one, but I think the the most interesting thing for me is the fact that they have the Raspberry Pi 4 support. And so now, because a lot of times people wanted Ubuntu to do it because, you know, there's been like Raspbian, there's stuff specifically built for Raspberry Pi, but to kind of have the connection between the regular Ubuntu and then having the Ubuntu on the on the Pi is just a really cool thing, especially since they've also made it uh, certified hardware for Ubuntu. So I am super happy to see that. And of course, you know, the GNOME, latest GNOME, the 3.38 is available in Ubuntu and all that. So the, you know, and also the, all the flavors have got updates. And I think the flavors are very interesting in a lot of what they're doing. You know, like Ubuntu Studio, for example, changing 
the the desktop environment to Plasma. Of course, I'm super interested in that one, and I want to play with that. Uh, but th th there's a lot of work in the latest release of uh, Ubuntu 20.10, and I think that it's it's one of those things that might not come off as being like a huge feature rich, you know, hypeable thing. But sometimes people like that because you know, uh, just that's what I was going to say. You said there was a lot of awesome things in there and there there is but it's I mostly say this back is a very stuff, yeah. safe release this is a very safe release right there's no yeah. risks being taken here there's nothing that's earth shattering to talk about i think there's some cool things though and that's not a negative necessarily it's okay to have a safe release yeah um it's also in the sense of like the the fact that it's got usb4 support and stuff like that you know like right the fingerprint yeah. login improvements and things mm -hmm. like that these are things that people have wanted for a long time they may not be earth shattering if you don't use that technology but it's still pretty cool stuff yeah um i was hoping there would be some more exciting things to come into the release personally uh, mm -hmm. to kind of keep up with what i'm seeing happen in other operating systems out yep. there but i think you know this is ubuntu's way right you're going to get a very solid experience you know it's going to work well and I do, if I was going to run Ubuntu, it would definitely probably be Ubuntu Studio right now that you mentioned, just because I think for my workflow, doing a lot of recording, editing, and videos and things, that one fits my need the most. And I think they're doing a lot of exciting things over there. I've been really happy because now that it includes GNOME 3.38, there's lots of little tweaks. Like you can you know, rearrange your app icons and the applications grid. That's huge because that was yeah. one of my annoying things. <laughs> for me absolutely oh and i got my gnome shirt on too nice because <laughs> yeah, nice. i donate to them <laughs> but um they're really looking at how to integrate the extensions more and you know our favorite extensions i'd really like to have them become part of gnome and they they're slowly starting to do that and that's what i've noticed about this release is they're really focusing on that you know that's a good point i want to mention that like the desktop of our gnome we covered in a prior episode and what they've done i think is fantastic uh, to kind of start cleaning up some of the things that have been long-term concerns or, or issues with GNOME. And the extension integration is a big one. So I've been on Fedora 33, and I'm kind of a newer um, convert to the GNOME world, Jill. So maybe you can help me out here. I was really shocked that when I went to change the theme in Fedora 33 within GNOME, like I wanted to change into more of a dark mode and change the icons, that there was no setting I could find to do that, I had to go download GNOME Tweaks. At least I yes. couldn't find one in order to actually change the fonts and the... Exactly, yeah. That is just <laughs> insane to me. Yeah. And, you know, in this release, the GNOME Tweaks is now... Um, it has has the ability to enable battery percentage from the settings app. And, and little tweaks like that, especially, you know, if you're on a laptop, that's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I'm really hoping they take that... I think from a GNOME standpoint, yeah. you need to take the extensions and fully integrate them, including exactly. every distro that ships with GNOME needs to include GNOME tweaks. And that should be part of the walkthrough because, look, I don't know many people who don't at least want to go change some of the themes, especially darker, you know, dark mode's huge right now. And mm -hmm. yeah. that being not intuitive and not in the settings isn't just a miss. It's honestly ridiculous. And I say that as somebody who's really enjoying GNOME right now. So I hope they 
fix that. Oh, yeah, you're exactly. There's exactly even an right. ex- extension that you need for uh, activating the dark themes on the shell. So if you you need yes. to have that, uh, so you need <laughs> to have that installed in order to That's do just it. Silliness. Yeah, and I think that the, the the interesting thing about GNOME is that they have this thing where they push extensions, but at the same time, it's kind of difficult to get the extensions and make them work and stuff. Because mm-hmm. like if they if they focus on that, I think that'll be a, a much better approach because it's just you know you're you're pushing extensions, which is fine. Feel free to do that. But if it's confusing for users to do those, you know, it does kind of create a, a break point there. So, or a bottleneck, I guess. So, yeah. you know, uh, if the, when they get that handled, I think that'll be a fantastic improvement for the GNOME desktop. Yeah, but, getting that dark theme integration and being able to put separate uh, wallpapers on different screens for those yes. of us that run mm-hmm. <laughs> multiple screens. Good point. Yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> extensions that are in the GNOME, the GNOME like environment that I think are just fantastic that yeah. you you don't even see them because you don't you don't experience them because they're kind of off in the, like their own little realm that you kind of you know have to go through this, these hoops to get to them. But then there's extensions like there's this one called uh, Quick Close Overview that I'm a huge fan mm. of. And it's basically just a way to, to, to it randomly click anywhere on a window with the middle click button and it will close the window. And it's not that awesome. much. It's not like a huge change of workflow or anything, but it's such a nice polish to have that there. And there's a lot of extensions like that in GNOME that if they were just more accessible, it would it, it would change. I just want to preempt some comments we're going to get, Michael. Um, there are people who are going to say, I've used GNOME with no extensions for 15 years. <laughs> and I just want to say there are also people who go to work on a unicycle. It doesn't make it okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair Very enough. Good. I like it. <laughs> so there's another bit of news that happened this week that is actually kind of polarizing and a little controversial, depending on what side of the debate you're on. And this is that YouTube DL RIAA has been taken down off GitHub. Uh, there's a little bit of nuance to that, but the, the RIAA issued a takedown notice to GitHub to take it down. And if you're not familiar, GitHub is owned by Microsoft, and they 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 subsequently decided to take it down based on this uh, due to legal repercussions if they hadn't done something because it, because they have to react quickly in order to keep their own legal right, aspects. They're just following in. the law. Yeah, yeah. they just kind of keep their own legal mm-hmm. aspects in, in a row, that kind of thing. Uh, but the claim is that the tool is used for piracy of copyrighted content and that it encouraged users to do so with the tool by mentioning music videos on YouTube that could be downloaded in the documentation and that sort of stuff. So the, the, the types the social media world has been taking two different sides typically. It's, it's basically people were saying that it should be taken down because it's violating, you know, copyright law or it's hurting ad revenue for creators and that sort of stuff. I mean, there's the other side that are talking about the the, the it's, it's an open source project that just because some people use it maliciously doesn't mean that it is doing anything actually bad because like the overall purpose of it isn't that malicious action just because some people can do malicious actions in the same way that the internet can be done in both of those things. So should the internet be taken down sort of stuff? Mm. So what, what are you guys think about this particular, like what side are you on or is there a different side that you take? Uh, so I'm just curious, uh, Jill, I'm going to start with you. Like, what do you think about okay. this particular news? I, I take both sides because I understand the YouTubers, you know, they need to make their money off, off those ads. You know, a lot of big ones do. A lot of big ones in the Destination Linux community do, like you guys. So, you know, I I understand that. But at the same time, there's some special use cases. Like in in my my case, I often download and archive um, favorite videos. But they're ones that I've already watched the ads on. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There you go. So, but, you know, you do get... 
once you, you go back and click on it, you will get uh, uh, more money for, for watching the ads again. But there, there are ones that are just the videos that are priceless. And then my own videos from my own YouTube site, as well as um, uh, sometimes I download an archive from Linux Gamecast. And one of the other reasons we like YouTube DL is because we can download our 4K 60 frames per second videos that you can't from other, other ways of downloading YouTube. So there are certain use cases for it, but it's a hard situation because I'm not trying to hurt you know, any of the YouTubers. I want them to thrive. So I watch their content with ads. Right. You know, so. No, I think that's a very that's a very Jill way of looking at it, and probably <laughs> the right way is there. There's some truth to both sides of this, and I think that when you look at this debate, I wrote this article on Front Page Linux uh, that it only took eight minutes for somebody to disagree with. Uh, so bring it. <laughs> but what I my view on this is, it's like the VHS tape. It's like the burnable CD-ROMs. You can do nefarious things. It's like torrenting. You can do nefarious things with all of these tools. But there are a lot of people that utilize this for very good things. Mm-hmm. YouTube DL's mistake, as I understand it, is they provided an example in their notes of being able to download content. Like I think it was like a Taylor Swift video or something specific in which I think that's what got them in trouble with this tool is having examples like that. Because I know a lot of people are utilizing this for archiving purposes. Now, I am a creator that makes some money that goes right back into the channel. Because believe me, if I made my living off YouTube, I would be streaming right now from a sandbox in the middle of a desert. (laughs) But um, I I, I make some money from this that I reinvest into the community or re-donate back into open source projects. But I tell people, I have had people ask me, hey, can I download your videos because I want to use it for a school project or I want to utilize yeah. it uh, for archiving purposes? And my answer is always, of course, take it. Go out there and, and utilize it for that stuff. Are there people who are going to take some of this and make it so that they pull all the music down on YouTube and then they use that as their music library? So they've stolen all of this music and things like that, which is what the RAA would be concerned with? Sure. But the RAA taking down this project stops that not at all, like zero, nada, accomplishes nothing. There are a hundred extensions in the web browser to do the same thing. There are tons of other (laughs) tools out there made for this purpose. They've gone after an open source project. What they could have done is worked with them to change the documentation and actually put even warnings in there to say, Hey, make sure you warn people that this shouldn't be used for, you know, nefarious purposes and stuff. Is that going to stop it? No, but neither does taking the project down, but it may make some people think or provide some education. So I don't like the hostile way that the RAAA has gone after college students, has gone after families, has gone after all of these people uh, utilizing their giant corporate lawyers and scary letters and everything else to tear things down instead of working with these projects. It's what destroyed the music industry. And believe it or not, once they actually created platforms that were fairly priced to get the songs you want, then people started buying their music online. It was a miracle. It was amazing. Right. Uh, so that's my view on this is it's the way they go about it. 
And I know that some people have already responded to my article, but the law, well, there are a lot of stupid laws. There are laws in Florida right now that you can't take a shower without having clothes on. Not kidding. So there are a lot of stupid <laughs> laws out there that doesn't mean yeah. we shouldn't be bucking them and calling them for what they are. What the RIAA did here was crap and why I immediately donated to the EFF, which is one of the only organizations out there that actually goes and fights for people yes. against these big giant corporations that do stuff like this. I agree with both positions on that. Like, I, I think there is a value in saying that, you know, uh, there's two different, both sides have a good point. There are certain aspects of, for example, with having the ad revenue thing. I think the idea of taking something like downloading something that you've already done the ads on is is a nice way of doing it. And my thing is, is I don't want to watch ads either. So I just bought YouTube premium. So I don't have to care about the ads because I never see them anyway, because thanks to YouTube premium, I don't. And I'm and they still get it and the creator still gets a percentage of the amount that, you know, all the collective people who have premium do that. So there is a you know, if you don't like ads, just get the premium version. Now, in terms of like the people who have like the like the slow Internet and stuff like that, which creates another issue. Yeah, uh, yep. you know, very there's, good. There's people who have, for those who are not aware, there's people who have such a slow internet that they're limited in the amount of da- uh, bandwidth they can download. And, Millions of people. This yeah. isn't like 10 people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So this YouTube DL provides a solution for them to able to still watch the content. And as a creator, I think that's amazing because it makes it possible for people who wouldn't be able to watch the stuff that I want them to see, be able to see it. So I think that there's another aspect of YouTube DL that is valuable in that sense. And I, but I agree completely that the RIA is taking out is taking it out on YouTube DL in like in a completely ineffective way. Like the the idea that they can take it down from GitHub as if there's not another place they could put it or self-hosted if they wanted to is just absurd. It's like the it's the it's well, what's just, the community done already, Michael? They forked it all over the place. You <laughs> yeah. go to yes. Reddit and you'll get a thousand links of now where it's at. They've actually done nothing but make it more popular. Yeah, and, and they're the making us it. talk about it, making more potential. Which is attention the same <laughs> garbage that like Disney did in their platform where they put so much of this protection all over their streaming content for a while. You couldn't even watch it on Linux. They had so much of it on there. And what was the most pirated show of the year? Mandalorian on Disney. It doesn't fix it. You've got to work with the community, not threaten them and come after them, especially during a pandemic. Come on. It's just ridiculous. And like you were saying, Ryan, it's there's hundreds of plugins. There's websites you can go to to download YouTube. It's in apps and everything. And even YouTube DL is the back end for a lot of the backup software that we use. (laughs) So for backing up sites. So this is just. It's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah. it's also kind of reminds me of like this the complete futility. Like the, the fact that they didn't learn their lesson from Napster is just yeah. so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, it's been it's been twenty years or whatever since Napster was taken down or, or something around something around that amount of time, and the amount of piracy that happened once they attacked Napster just catapulted, skyrocketed, whatever you want to say. It's been just massive amounts in comparison to what it was when Napster was around. Because they basically just said, you can't do this. And they're like, oh, watch us. 
and they did download a car would you Michael? yeah that stupid Uh, advert about not downloading. yes of course download a car are you kidding yeah the idea and like as soon as and then and then a 3d printing possibility comes out and be like maybe we can download a car now (laughs) you could download a car (laughs) yeah Yeah. so the fact that they didn't learn their lesson from napster is just so sad that like oh yeah we're Uh, totally going to be able to take down like you're hurting the the industry and like they're they're not actually because a lot of people don't know about it but now that you're making a huge fuss about it a lot more people are going to know about it even more. So it turns yeah. out the mobster and thug <laughs> mentality doesn't work well against hackers. So everyone yeah. moved from Napster to Gazaa to Emule. Exactly. Know, just they just kept bouncing. <laughs> yep. And then how did it go away? They created a a great streaming platforms. You could pay a monthly fee and have all exactly. the music, or they created mm-hmm. platforms in which you could download for a very inexpensive price individual songs. And it all not went away because it still exists, but the right. vast majority of the population now subscribes to one of those services. Yeah. So work with the community, figure out why people mm. are doing utilizing these tools for those things and fix it versus going after and acting mm. like a bunch of thugs and gangsters. Yeah, lower yeah. the barrier and you're going to make people want to <laughs> do it, like m- make more people want to use the services more. Like, for example, like what Ryan just said, I start, I have a title account. Because I don't care about having a physical access, and title has good quality audio, and there you go. That's they it's eliminate done, right. they eliminated the hassle, mm-hmm. and now I don't have to deal with. And this any is a kind guy of, that bought a nine dollar stool, so right. if he spend his money exactly. on it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If 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 I'm gonna wait for a, a once a year sale for a stool, then it definitely, it definitely shows that I'm gonna do this thing. But you guys, you know. I have a three dollar IKEA stool right behind me. Well, three dollars <laughs> isn't a reasonable price. Uh, How is nine dollars not up. reasonable? What are you talking? Nine dollars is way too much. That's money three times. It. More, it's not reasonable for a chair that never gets used. Yes. <laughs> it gets used. It's like it's already said at least seven times. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah. If you're excited about the upcoming consoles that are coming out, like the PS5, like the Xbox Series X, is that the name for it? It's like a really long play on Xbox, Xbox Series X. Series X, I think one. Yeah, series it's stuff. the x1 falcon series x i think yeah uh. whatever that microsoft <laughs> thing is uh you may be excited for those but did you know that if you own a ps4 and likely this would work on the ps5 as well that you can stream those titles to your linux machine How nice cool is that yeah that is awesome so if you want to hide from your kids and play your ps4 while you're in your home office or even <laughs> if you're away once you do this setup they suggest you do this setup locally once you're away from your computer, you can actually wake your PS4, say from a hotel room or somewhere else where you're traveling from your computer and stream your PS4 onto your laptop. And this tool is called, well, I'm not, it's C-H-I-A-K-I. C-H-I-A-K-I. I will try. I will try. Chiaki. Thank you. Chiaki. 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 I like Chiaki. We're going to make it Chiaki. Yeah. You can pick one up at Chick-fil-A. Actually... You can go and it's a free and open source software client for PlayStation 4 remote play. It works on FreeBSD, OpenBSD, Android, macOS, and Windows as well. And so it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a tool you can use on pretty much any operating system you want to stream your PS4 to your machine. Everything necessary for full streaming sessions, including waking up the console. I love this idea. If you want, mm-hmm. if there's a AAA title that you've been wanting to play on your machine, or you don't have time to play because you're traveling or other things, then you can bring your laptop with you and stream it right to your machine. This is actually helpful for content creators as well. If there's a certain game I want to play or stream from the PS4, it may not work well in Linux yet. 
then I could just do that from the PS4 sitting downstairs and play it right here. It's just very cool. I love yeah. that the community is so hacky that they get in there and make amazing solutions for this. Yeah. This but is it awesome. also brought one other thing up. Sony has kind of a miss here. Microsoft is releasing their subscription gaming service, which is quite good. You get access to a massive library of games and you can play them for one monthly low cost and you can play them on Windows and you can play them on your, obviously your, your console itself. So if you have the one subscription, you could download on your Windows machine and on the console. It's, it's quite amazing. And Sony doesn't have an operating system. Which makes me think, wouldn't it be brilliant to see Sony partner with Valve here to bring some of their titles over to Linux and kind of give a good jab of competition to Microsoft right where it hurts? It would be a brilliant play on their part and something that I really hope Sony would consider doing out there because they don't have an operating system to compete against this. And even though a lot of people think the PlayStation 5 is a much better console and they both have sold out in record time, I think Microsoft's purchase of all these game studios and having those licenses and being able to stream them are what are going to ultimately give them the win here in this market if Sony doesn't do something quite spectacular. Yeah, I think the fact that the the idea, I think, is brilliant. Like if Sony wanted to try to take it full force at, at Microsoft and Xbox, then the PlayStation having an operating system on the PC level where you have this connection, like the one of the main values that people look at uh, using the Xbox is that they have that Windows ability to play it on the Windows version plus also the Xbox version and have that syncing thing. And having a streaming thing is also another piece. Uh, but this is this on this project at Chiaki is really cool uh, that allows you to have this this kind of retroactively making the service for Sony. And I hope that Sony looks at this as an opportunity to you know kind of see where it could be and make a, a an approach to a fantastic opportunity of creating this platform that they could have with, uh, especially with that partnership with Valve that you mentioned, like that would be amazing. And it would make it so that Sony would not only grow in terms of attention, but also they would be helping Linux grow. And I think that that'd be a huge bonus for both because right now Sony has this one thing where they're like all their games in this one isolated area. And it could be, they could actually take it to a huge level but I think this that there's so much potential with it. I mean, I love the idea, and I think we need to send this episode to Sony and make sure that they see it so that they do it. Well, well I mean, at least knowing they have the idea. Jill's life story, I'm sure she probably <laughs> knows the CEO of Sony personally. So, Jill, can you get this in Sony's hands for us, please? Yeah. This idea, <laughs> yeah. and then make sure we get some compensation for it. Too. Well, you know, yeah. it is their their OS on the Playstations is BSD. Yeah, and we've put you know I have an old PlayStation that I have Linux on. I mean, it would be so easy for them because they're already, exactly. you know, um, you know, the games are already compiled to work with the Nixes. So yeah. this is a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree. Exactly. And we're only going to charge you Sony a couple million dollars for the idea. Yeah, just for our consultancy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have a consultancy fee, of course, and it's just it's super cheap yeah. in comparison couple to what mil. you expect. Yeah, no big deal. Whatever. This week, we're continuing in our tip of the week, our exploration of the Linux file system and our tips and tricks section. So far, we've covered temp, bin, boot, dev, Etsy, lib, media, opt, proc, root, run, sbin, and user. I like making Noah say that. I hate having to do it myself. <laughs> I, I write this to torture you guys, not for me to be tortured here. But this week, we're covering slash SRV. 
So I had to pull in some help from our patrons, specifically Neil, and ask, what is the use case here? Because I noticed that in the context when I was reading up on SRV, that it's you know mentioned using it as a web server to store your files for sites. As an example, you could use slash serve slash HTTP or slash serve slash www. And in my short time in Linux, I've always put things in slash var www. And so what Neil was explaining is basically this has been around, but a lot of a lot of this has migrated the use cases for it to more towards the slash var usability than the slash SRV. So it's there, but not necessarily something that people actively utilize right now in most distros out there, as I understand. So while we're mentioning it, probably not something you need to learn a whole ton about. Uh, Michael or Jill, anything additional in slash SRV people should know? I mean, there's there are some distros that still use SRV, but it's very uncommon. And slash var is pretty much the dominant thing. I like that. And we'll talk about slash var in a future episode. Well, another tip and trick when we do this. Uh, but I think the SRV, I think is what you said is accurate. SRV is pretty much kind of been going in the the you know the back burner for many many years. Nice. Yeah, I I haven't needed to access that folder myself to to edit things since like the Debian and Slackware days, like early years. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's mostly VAR. Yeah, exactly. So is this a thing where eventually Linux will go in and just remove this or because it's legacy, it just kind of stays forever? I think because it, it's legacy, it's just going to yeah. like, It's just going to stay there. there. Yeah. It, I think if, if at some point in the future, there's a chance that it'll be removed, but until every distro and every in, in, in implementation of it is removed, it won't be like officially pulled out of the system. So just nice. like just in case sort of thing. So for for now, it's probably like 95% legacy still there. So when you see it, ignore it. Yeah, pretty much. No. <laughs> All right. So in the software spotlight, we're going to be talking about a way to make music on your computer. Have you ever wanted to make music on your computer? No. Will we? Well, oh, well, then we're done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just okay, kidding. Okay, Joe wants to. Okay, good, good, good. All right. So the... The spotlight this week is LMMS, and this is a really cool application that allows you to create your own like melodies and beats and synthesizing and mixing sounds and arranging samples and all that stuff. And if you understand all of those different terms, you're already closer than I am. So uh, playback instruments, you are able to be samples and plugins with a typing like a MIDI keyboard or in, in many other kinds of things. Like you have, It has a, also a really nice interface that's very user-friendly. It's bundled with ready-to-use content for an assortment of instruments and effect plugins and all sorts of stuff like uh, for example VSTs are available inside of LMS and if you are familiar with any kind of audio editing and audio creation VSTs are a very popular plugin format uh, so I do know a little bit about it but not Look at you that showing much. that knowledge nice. yeah. I don't know yeah. I know a little bit thanks to watching videos that explain the things to me but in terms of like overall it's I'm not a musician so there you go. But I have had a lot of people tell me that LMMS is a fantastic uh, software for music creation. So if you're looking for something like that, definitely check it out. It's LMMS.io, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Well, I want to tell you, Michael, that I downloaded this software and started playing with it. It is absolutely professional, amazing looking software that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing right? with it. Right. But if I did, 
I would be quite impressed with it and would check it out because I got, I went into, I saw these videos where these kids had these like boards where they're pushing different sounds and yeah. creating these different samples. And then it comes together in this awesome beat. So I tried to do the same thing in LMS and it has all of those capabilities there. Unfortunately, mine came out like uh, somebody who was drunk with a bucket. Uh, <laughs> but if you knew what you were doing, you could create. Sounds amazing, amazing, man. Sounds, sounds amazing. <laughs> Uh, that, that you could do. So I, I just, I love that this tool is available for Linux. It looks really awesome. Yeah. Jill, I don't know. Have you ever played with any of these type of music creation tools? Yeah. And actually I think L- LMMS is one of the ones that has some plugins that you can integrate into other software. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, X, and I always forget the name of it. X sub synth or... <laughs> Uh, I think it's just Xsynth, isn't it? Xsynth, yeah, yeah. Xsynth. Um, I've I've played around with. Uh, it's been around for a lot of years, mm-hmm. and um, I've actually done some music on that for my animations. Oh wow! <laughs> nice. Look at that. We should have just let Jill introduce it then, probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Now, so check it out if you do make music. I know a lot of people in the Linux community do. This looks like amazing software. So first, I want to give a huge thank you to Jill for coming on last minute to help us record this episode. And I mean, last minute <laughs> and did so, so awesome, Jill. We love having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on Destination Linux. Oh, I love being here. Thank you. <laughs> I also want to thank all of the patrons that stayed here with us today. As we tried to find a extra co-host and hunt one down, they hung out with <laughs> us. We had amazing conversations. I love all of your faces. So thank you for hanging out. And if you want to become a patron, and watch unedited versions of the show, get VIP access. You can check out Patreon. You can check out sponsors. You can come hang out with the crew. And if you also want to get some swag from the Destination Linux Network, you can go to dlnstore.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and stickers. We also are going to be doing adding some more stuff coming soon. I can't wait to you know show you all the new stuff. It's it's I, I have to wait because it's not ready yet, but it's coming very soon. And you, hoodies. But, it's hoodies. I'll it, just tell you. Okay, it's hoodies. hoodies. It's hoodies and hats. Okay, but we're, yes. we're 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 bringing more stuff in there. But so I guess well, Ryan decided to spill the beans. I guess whatever. But he didn't spill the coffee because you can put your coffee in the DLN mug that's available to you. And also there's a pseudo show mug and some other stuff. We're gonna adding a lot more. So go check out the DLNstore.com to get all of the great swag and merch for the network. And do you know how many amazing shows we have, Michael, part of the Destination Linux Network? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? Well, I know you have. I think I have because I sign all the contracts with them. But if you didn't know, let me just name a few here for those who don't know. We've got the Pseudo Show, which is one of our fastest growing podcasts we've ever had on the network out there, run by two amazing hosts that happen to love Red Hat and servers and all kinds of geeky elements that you can get an in-depth discussion on. We have the Ask Noah show. We have This Week in Linux. We got the DOS Geek channel. We have DLN Extend. We have Hardware Addicts, where Wendy keeps me and Michael in check every (laughs) single week. Imagine (laughs) the responsibility put onto her shoulders there. So go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all of these amazing shows. You get the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce right there. But there's another podcast where you catch Jill on, and I want to make sure it gets a plug. So Jill, where can people find you? You can find me at linuxgamecast.com, and I co-host on um, LWDW. It's it's the our weekly Linux news show. And awesome. I do that with Ven Stone and Pedro Mateus. And you can find me at on Twitter at Jill underscore Linux girl. 
and definitely go check out Jill's content. She's amazing on these shows. So go check that out. And everybody also have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important important as the destination. destination. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Have a good one. See see you next week. All right, patrons, you can turn on your cameras, turn on your audio, ask Jill some questions because she's more interesting than us, probably. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Speaking of pseudo show, we got Brandon here. What's up, man? Hi, Brandon. See, you said we never talk about you, Brandon, but we gave you a whole shout out there. Did you hear that shout out? I never said that. Okay. (laughs) I I did just make that up. But in case you ever did, I covered my bases. (laughs) In case you ever did say that. (laughs) Just in case. Uh, I'll pretend that you did it, but just in case. (laughs) I always think negative intentions, Brandon. (laughs) He's like, like, I've had YouTube comments. I just assume this point. Right. It took eight minutes for someone to yell at my front page Linux article. All right. I assume the negative. Yeah. All I right. was one of them. I'm just kidding. Was that you? One of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs>